Hard to believe today is the midpoint of the month of January, the 15th, the month is half over. Seems like we were just celebrating New Year's. Um, Several things are happening in the life of our church over the next several weeks. Ladies, your quarterly uh, night out, ladies night out, is a week from Thursday. It's on the 26th, 6.30 p.m., and you'll want to come out. It's going to be a great evening. Uh, The signing choir... um, Praise Handmade from Jefferson Street Christian Church will be with us to share a program, and I believe our own Jan Dial, I think, is speaking. Is that right, Merla? So that's going to be a great night. Then two weeks from today, on the 29th, during uh, the middle part of our service, we're going to show you some video and some pictures from the college trip that took place the first week of the year. It's called Passion. 45,000 college students from around the country gathered in Atlanta, Georgia, and we're going to let you just get a taste of what took place. And then three nights later on February 1st, as we begin our Families at First program for the winter and spring, we'll have 13 straight weeks that we'll be meeting on Wednesday evenings. The college students are going to be in charge of the evening, and they're going to have a lot of testimonies, a lot of video. The adults that went on the trip, Kevin Peterson and Jim and uh, Dee Malansky will be there as well. You will not want to miss that night. It's going to be in the Family Life Center on February 1st. It's going to be a very, very special time. And as I said, February 1st, Families at First returns, and we're going to have a a really good time this spring, this winter together. If you're not plugged in on Wednesday night, somehow, some way, we'd love for you to come out. There's a meal at 5.30, and then programming for all ages at 6.30. And I do want to talk about this. Kent kind of brought it up. This is an iPad. I don't know how familiar you are with that, and some of you may be thinking, do we really need that? Doesn't the paper work? Doesn't the the Bible work? The nice thing about this that I have really found, and I I, um, learned about this from some preacher friends that have used it for a couple years, is um, everything that you could possibly need is really at your fingertips. I've got my manuscript on here. I'm able to download the Bible, so I've got the Bible on here. Um, If I want PowerPoint, that's available on here. So it really helps free me up to spend less time finding and scrambling and more time really focusing on the message. So um, it takes a very average preacher and hopefully makes him just a little bit more functioning when it comes to communicating God's Word. Last week we dove in to the story of Joseph from the book of Genesis. And if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 39. If you don't have your Bible, let me invite you to grab a pew Bible. And our account this morning is on pages 40 and 41, the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 39. Last week, we looked at what was really taking place from when Abraham was given that great promise in Genesis chapter 12. He was told that he was going to be a nation and a land and a blessing, and he was told that all peoples on earth were going to be blessed through his name up until the time that his great-grandson Joseph, his narrative begins. And this is what we discovered. There's a lot of deception. There's a lot of devious behavior. There's a lot of family dysfunction. And for some of you, when I shared that, you were kind of looking at me like, are you able to talk about the patriarchs like that? Can you talk about Abraham like that? Can you talk about Isaac and Jacob like that? And the reality is, all the people that we read about in the Bible, with the exception of Jesus Christ, are fallen people. They're sinful people. They've missed the mark. And my encouragement for you Not just through this series in the month of January, but every month this spring and into the summer. We're going to spend four or five weeks looking at what I would consider a key Bible character. 
And I hope that when you read about these men and you read about these women, you will understand that there's really not that much of a gap between them and you and the people in your life. Are we fallen? Are we broken? Are we sinful? Absolutely. But just like God used Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, next month we're going to look at Moses. God used people that were broken and were fallen to literally change the world. And I am convinced that, that we can do exactly the same thing and that we are called to do exactly the same thing. Last week we looked at Genesis chapter 37. And this is the account where Jacob, the 11th of 12 sons, uh, excuse me, Joseph, the 11th of 12 sons of Jacob, is treated terribly by his brothers. They beat him, they throw him in an empty cistern, they sell him into slavery, and then they do the unthinkable. They go to their father, Jacob, their hero. And they take Joseph's coat, his most prized possession, given to him by his father. They tear it into pieces. They sprinkle the blood of an animal on it. And they say, Dad, your favorite son is dead. It's awful. It's terrible. It's unthinkable in so many ways. But last week's big idea is this. Joseph's ordeal in chapter 37 shows us integrity is always the right answer. And God is always in control. Some of you, as you were reading, as the sermon was coming to a conclusion in chapter 37, you were probably wondering to yourself, how can God be in control? This awesome kid has been sold into slavery. This patriarch, this, this great father, says he's going to mourn the rest of his life. How can God possibly be in control? Is that possible? And the answer, as we'll see over these next several weeks, is absolutely yes. So in Genesis 39, we're going to look at this narrative in four parts. Part one is this. The Lord is with Joseph in his painful transition from favorite son to ordinary slave. He had the dream life. He had the perfect life. His life was as good as it gets. And he goes from the good life to being a slave. My guess is he rarely had to do anything he didn't want to do for, for the first several years of his life. And now he's an ordinary slave. Let's read the word of God together. Genesis 39, beginning with verse 1. It reads like this. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. This is a very important position, this position of attendant. This isn't, I want a cup of coffee, give me a cup with two sugars and one cream. That's not what it is. An attendant, very, very important position. And in a very short amount of time, Joseph ha has found himself in this position. Potiphar, li get, listen to this, put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. What a risk Potiphar was taking. 
This is a common, ordinary slave from his perspective. And he's now in charge of everything. Verse 5. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. That's trust. It shows real quickly that Potiphar, it would seem, is a good judge of character. Well, look at these phrases that were in our text. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord blessed. Over and over and over again, you're going to see that phraseology, not just this week, but in the weeks to come. The Lord blessed. When Joseph's in the picture, when Joseph is in the equation, the Lord is blessing in a great and mighty way. See, the big idea in part one is this. Joseph thrives in this unwanted transition of life. That's our next slide. Joseph thrives in this unwanted transition of life. So let me take a quick time out right now. I'm going to close the iPad, and I'm going to ask you this question, whoever you are. Do you find yourself this morning, middle of January 2012, in an unwanted position of life? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe you're living the dream life. You're living the dream. Everything's great. But maybe you find yourself in a transition and you wake up in the morning and you're saying, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I want. This wasn't the picture book story when I drew it up years and years ago. And here's my message for you today. Like Joseph, you can thrive if you find yourself in an unwanted transition of life. You can The Lord will help you, and you can thrive. So that's really not even in the notes. That's really not even in the transcript. I just want you to understand, if you find yourself this morning in a position you didn't want to be in, you find yourself in a life circumstance you weren't prepared for, God can and will still bless you, and God can and will still use you in a great and mighty way. Part two, let's move on. Part two, Joseph's integrity leads him to make a difficult but godly decision in the midst of a powerful temptation. The big idea today is temptation, if you didn't know that. We're calling this message Tested, and we're going to see an incredible temptation come Joseph's way, and we're going to see his integrity really rise to the top. Let's read on together, second part of verse six. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now, we've got some youngsters with us this morning, so I want to be sensitive with this. She didn't want to sleep, okay? You know what we're talking about here, okay? So we're moving on. Uh, But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. He understands the the prominence that he has achieved. My master has withheld nothing from me except what? Except you because you are his wife. And I love what he says here. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be around her, be with her. 
One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. Trouble! Verse 12, she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Some translations say he fled. See here, Joseph wasn't just blessed spiritually, he was also blessed physically. Verse 6b says he was well built and handsome. And you're probably wondering, what's that look like? Well, I brought some pictures with me today just to give you an idea of what Joseph might have looked like. Let's see this first picture. Who is that? That's Brad Pitt, okay? Well built and handsome, right? Let's see the next one. Who's this? George Clooney, okay? Maybe Joseph looked a little, probably too old to play the part of Joseph, but just possibly. Number three, Tom Cruise. You know, I think most people would say he's well built and handsome. And then number four, Did you put that in there, Ernie? He's turning red right now. Joseph was well-built and handsome. He had it all. And Potiphar's wife took notice of him. And she said, I want you. Second thing I want you to see is that Joseph had a grounded, logical approach to this temptation. Now, let's just be honest this morning. This is probably one of the most powerful temptations that, that a man can possibly face. You've got a woman literally throwing herself at you. You've got the whole psychology, the whole emotional connection of, this is my master's wife. If she's not happy with me, can she kind of sway his perspective toward me? And don't forget the fact, Joseph's world has literally been turned upside down down he went from the dream life to an ordinary slave and i think a, a very logical if he was going to try to process everything thought process might be would it be worth it for me to give in to her just to keep her happy that's what the world might say you should do but look at joseph's resolve verse 9 how could i do such a wicked Thing. It's not even possible in his mind. He says, I can't even think about going down that road. It's impossible. Third thing I want you to see, Joseph had a plan in place. As I said, some translations use the term flee. He fled his temptation. Verse 12 says, he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. In, in, in many circumstances, dress first century world, there would be like a, a long flowing undergarment. And then there'd be an outer cloak. So I don't want you to think he ran naked out of the house, but he didn't have his outer cloak. And it would be something that would be very odd for him to leave around. Something would be up if the master came home and found the outer cloak. But here's the thing. J Joseph didn't care. He knew if I stick around here, I'm in trouble. If I stick around here, something awful is going to happen. If I try to rationalize with this woman, if I try to sit down and say, well, let's talk over a, a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, something bad is going to happen. And so he fled. And for some of us today, if you get nothing else out of this message, get that principle right there. There are some temptations when they visit us, we need to run. We need to flee. We need to get out of Dodge in a hurry. Joseph fled temptation. 
Let me take a time out from Genesis 39. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this, but I want to just talk about the truth about temptation for just a moment today. Because we all face temptations. Sometimes my temptation might be different than your temptation, but all of us have temptations in our life. Whether we're 7 or 17 or 77, we face temptations. And the first truth is this, temptation is inevitable. You will face temptation in life. Temptation, in terms of a definition, we're going to call it an opportunity to do evil that is appealing. And again, what tempts Jim might not tempt Ernie. What tempts Ernie might not tempt me. But the reality is, we all have something in our life that we're not supposed to do that's appealing. That's why sin's so much fun. That's why there's such a battle. That's why there's such a struggle. Second truth about temptation is this. Yielding to temptation is a lethal, though on the surface, it may appear harmless. I've got to tell you, Genesis 39, I believe there are people in our world today that would read this account. And they would think it was just foolish that Joseph didn't give in to that temptation. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? Does it really matter? Have a little fun. Make your master's wife happy. Enjoy life. And whatever your temptation is that really can get a hold of you, whatever it is, there might be a little voice speaking to you saying, it's really no big deal. You can ask for forgiveness later. The Bible says that we can be forgiven, doesn't it? And yet I stand before you today and say, yielding to temptation, it's a lethal. It will kill you. If you're not careful. James 1 is a great, great verse. James 1, 14 and 15 on the downward spiral of sin. Here's what it says. James writes, each one of us is tempted by his own evil desire. And he's dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. And what you see here, put this next slide up there for me, Ethan. This is the downward spiral of sin. We're drawn away, not by God. God can't tempt us. We're drawn away by our own evil desires. We're enticed. Desire conceives and gives birth to sin. And eventually, sin brings forth death. Friends, sin's a big deal. If you don't know that already, will you acknowledge that this morning? Sin is a big, big deal. And when we yield to temptation and we find ourselves in the midst of full-blown sin, if we're not careful, it will lead to death. It will lead to a spiritual death and then the third truth about temptation is this victory is possible but it takes discipline now i know that some of you are sitting here today and you're saying you know you don't understand the temptation that i face you're a preacher you went to bible college you live in a town of 300 you don't understand what i'm going through you don't understand the temptation that i face and i'm telling you victory is possible no temptation is too great to overcome. I don't care who you are. I don't care what it is. And the reason I know that is because God's word says so. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is a verse many of us should have committed to memory. It says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. And if we were to do an interview this morning anonymously with someone that's really fallen 
to temptation and it's led to full-blown sin and it's caused a train wreck in their life, if they were being honest, my guess is every single person would say there was a way out and I didn't take it. There's a way to avoid it and I didn't take it. Joseph saw a way out and he ran. It didn't look good leaving his cloak. That's not a positive. It would have been better if he would have grabbed his cloak as he was running. Let me have that. And I, but it didn't happen like that. But he didn't care. Because he knew if I stick around, I'm in trouble. If I stick around and try to rationalize, I'm in danger. So he fled. Let's move on. Part three. Part three is kind of the, um, it's the hard part of the story. I, I really don't like this hard for me to even read it because it's not fair it's not fair at all but part three is this joseph's going to pay a price even though he did the right thing he did the right thing he said no way potiphar's wife and he ran and he's going to pay a price anyway let's read on together verse 13 says when she potiphar's wife saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house she called her household servants look she said to them this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until the master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. He wasn't slightly unhappy. He burned with anger. And Joseph's master took him, put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. See, Joseph's wife is untruthful and she's hateful in her revenge upon Joseph. See, this wasn't the first time that Joseph had said, no, thank you. What did our text tell us? How often did she have her sights set on Joseph? How about every day? Day after day after day after day. And Joseph said, no, thank you. And she decided, I'm going to get even with him. I'm going to show this kid. He thinks he's so special. He thinks his integrity is so above reproach. I'll show him. And she lied, and she lied some more, and she kept on lying. And her husband, the guy that had such great insight when it came to Joseph, bought her lie, hook, line, and sinker. And before you know it, Joseph finds himself in prison unfairly and you know you look at joseph's life and you say i don't get it i don't understand it he, he's a wonderful kid he, he's the favored son he's got this ability to interpret dreams so his brothers beat the tar out of him and sell him into slavery and then he rises to the top a second time he's got this incredible ability to lead Potiphar, who doesn't really even know him, puts him in charge of his entire household. He does the right thing. He's a person of integrity, and now he finds himself in prison? 
That doesn't seem fair to me. That doesn't seem just to me. But here's the point. It's all part of God's master plan. God is in control. Even when he doesn't seem to be, God is in control. And that leads us to part four, the last part of our message today. The Lord is with Joseph in the midst of unjust punishment. He doesn't deserve to be in prison. He doesn't deserve to be treated like a common criminal. But yet God's with him anyway. Let's conclude this chapter together. He says, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness, granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. It's almost like a repeat of what we read at the beginning of chapter 39, is it not? He's in charge once again. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and he gave him success in whatever he did. Look at these key phrases. I want you to see this. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord showed him kindness. The Lord granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The Lord gave him success in whatever he did. Even in the midst of yet another unfair trial, God's blessing his socks off. God's blessing him incredibly. So what do we take from this account? What do we take from chapter 39? I mean, do we take that, um, that unfair things happen to good people? You, you could take that. Do you take that, um, you know, some people think Ernie's on par with Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise and George Clooney. You, you could take that if you wanted to. Here's what I want to leave you with today. Four things. Number one is this. You will face temptation. You will face a test. So be prepared. And the thing about it is, there's no easy button. There's no magic pill that you can take. God, if I just take this pill, temptation will be no more. That's not how it works. And even if you find yourself today in the midst of failure, maybe this week, maybe last night, you failed a test. You failed temptation. Prepare yourself for battle today. Don't stay down and, and wallow in defeat. Be prepared. Secondly, overcoming temptation isn't easy. It's not enjoyable, but it's possible. I, I uh, had a young man, college-age student in, in a previous ministry, that really, um, he went to college and just started partying like crazy. I mean, and I, I'm not talking about go out and have a beer or go out and have a glass of wine. I'm talking about go out and have like 12 beers like 15 beers, like I, I just can't stand up, I'm so drunk. And, and at about 27, he decided, I, I gotta grow up. And, and he really found out real quickly, this is gonna be hard. My whole life is uh, dealing with people that go out a lot of the time and just get smashed till they can't stand up. And I'm either not gonna have any friends or I'm gonna have to figure out how I can deal with this. And here's what he concluded. He said a couple times he would pray all day long, God, I'm going to go out with my friends tonight, and when they drink beer, I'm going to drink Coke, and, and I, I'm going to have a good time. And guess what happened every time? He couldn't resist the temptation. So he realized, I, I've got to change my circle. I've got to change my pattern of behavior. And for some of you, maybe your temptation is the temptation to gossip. You know what I'm going to tell you? You may have to get to the point where you just have to hang up the telephone. 
And for some of you, maybe your temptation is the computer. I mean, pornography is an enormous, enormous problem in the world today. And for some of us, that may mean we have to unplug our computer. Or we have to put our computer in, in a very public place where anyone in the household can see it. No privacy. No secrecy. It will not be easy. It will maybe not be enjoyable to overcome temptation, but it is possible. Third, understand this. Sometimes we can do the right thing and pay a price anyway. But you should still do the right thing. Sometimes if you make the right decision and you upset the wrong people in making the right decision, you might pay a price. But that's okay. Do the right thing anyway. Because even if nobody else on the face of this earth gives you a word of encouragement, I guarantee you, God, your Father, is applauding. I guarantee you. So even if you pay a price for doing the right thing, do the right thing. And then finally, really the message of Joseph, integrity is always the right answer. Integrity is always the right answer. Weeks one and two in the life of Joseph haven't ended in a very encouraging way, have they? Week one, he ended up being sold into slavery. Week two, he ended up in prison. And he didn't do anything wrong either time. It gets better next week, I promise you. You'll have to come back and see how our story continues to unfold. And on the 29th, as our story concludes, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. And thank you for blessing us. And God, I thank you most of all this morning for Jesus Christ, your son. And even though we're studying in the Old Testament, uh, the life of Joseph, a guy that lived like 4,000 years ago, we're here this morning because of your son, Jesus Christ, and the difference that he makes. The difference that he made when he went to the cross and died on the cross. The difference that he made when he beat death once and for all. And the difference that he makes today in 2012. He, he's our hope. And so with that, we pray that you bless us, that you give us strength, and that when we find ourselves in a potentially compromising situation, we'll think about Jesus. We'll think about the difference that he can make for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. One of the popular verses that we've heard probably over and over again in Romans said, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And each and every one of us has been given that opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so my prayer for you this morning is that, that you've done that. That you've taken his forgiveness and you've held on to his forgiveness. Not done here this morning, our invitation is for you. And maybe this morning you just need prayer again. And our invitation is for you as well as we stand together and sing.
Thank you for worshiping with us today. I want to remind you, please make note of all the things that are in your bulletin, the people that are in the hospital, those with the special requests, please make note of those in your bulletin. Also, reminder, early youth group tonight at 4 o'clock. Also, reminder, what I said last time, Greg mentioned me in a sermon that he was going to have to pay me $20 for every time he mentioned my name. He said it five times today, so he owes me $100, so that's going to work out. It's going to work out well for me this week, so let's pray together. <laughs> Father, we love you and we thank you again for the joy that we have in you. And Father, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we, we go through the valley. And Father, we know that you understand. And so Father, help us this week that we might lean on you, that we might trust in you. And Father, we love you so very much and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> 